0: Welcome to Cow Side Conversations, a monthly podcast brought to you by the Center for Dairy Excellence. We've heard time and time again that dairy farmers learn the most from other dairy farmers. So, in this podcast, we are going to share real time farmer insights, tricks of the trade, and inspiring stories from dairies across Pennsylvania. I'm Jane Sebright, director at the Center. Here's this month's episode Happy New Year! 2021 almost behind us, we thought we'd publish a bonus episode of Calfside Conversations to highlight some of our favorite moments over season one. During the past year, we interviewed dairy farmers from across the state from Wayne County, just a few miles south of New York to Westmoreland County near Pittsburgh. What has really made this podcast so exciting and so successful is the openness and honesty that each of our guests brings when sharing the ins and outs of their operations. I think we all have something we can learn from each other, and being able to exchange stories and ideas is what's made this podcast so refreshing. Here's a few of our favorite snippets from this past year. To start with, listen back as Mark Moseman from Fulton County describes how he uses risk management to protect their input costs.
1: Um, Our philosophy, I really think, and our accountants have kind of guided us this way, you know, you, your your goal is to cover that cost of production, and you want to hit base hits. Basically, if you're talking baseball, you want solid singles. You don't want the grand slam. You don't want the home run because there's a lot higher risk, a lot higher cost with that. So, if we can hit stop solid singles, we can progress where we need to be and do it and mitigate that risk. Um, because if you if you're gunning for the big Thing, you've also got a lot of risk and a lot of cost in trying to, to gather that. So sometimes you leave a little on the table, but in the end, if you're covering your baseline and you're always making that that margin that you know you can survive off of, you will continue to build your balance sheet and, and move forward slowly and steadily. So that's that's kind of our concept that's been that way since 2010.
0: So essentially you just answered, My next question, but I'm sure you have something to add. You mentioned that, you know, really striving for those base hits and not the home runs is really a good lesson that you've learned in using risk management. But what other lessons have you learned, um, things that you learned through your experience with risk management?
1: Well, you have to not be discouraged. There are times when you leave money on the table. Uh, There are times when you get burnt. Um, but I think slow and steady wins the race. You have to stick to your game plan. So, um, we've developed our game plan a little bit. Uh, it's not the fanciest one out there, but we utilize a lot of advisors and, uh, you know, we're using accountants, we're using, um, our profit team, you know, so all the different people in our profit team are veterinarian or nutritionists. Um, our loan officer, <clears throat> we have a we have a consultant through our loan company as well, uh, Mike Osterman, and uh, Mike's had a lot of history with us. He used to be our loan officer, so he's had a lot of history, and that's valuable for us.
0: In our episode on biosecurity, Nate I'm from Lancaster County shares how important vaccination protocols are to the health of your animals and your overall bottom line.
2: Biggest thing probably is what, what you might have done before in the farm's history isn't what you need to do now. Times change and evolve. Different health issues come up that you might not have had on the farm before. An example that a lot of farms are are facing that's newer to the industry, but it's is probably been there before. It might have just got misdiagnosed or people didn't realize what it was. It was you know, issues with salmonella in calves the newer one is salmonella dublin but i think you know examples like that is they're there people just don't realize they're there and they might be misdiagnosed so what what we've tried to do throughout to uh, help with that is if we have an issue with a calf or a, a little bit older calf or a heifer we've we've spent the money and the time to send them to state lab just to know what we're dealing with. And we've done that too on cultures of milk. So I think the big thing is, is you just got to sort of put some money and time into knowing what you have and then develop your vaccination program off of that. And what you did five years ago might not be what you need to do today. And then it's just continually training your employees and helping them to understand that there might be some health issues that come up, and that they know it's it's not their fault, it's nothing they did, but they can help be part of the solution and uh, help you work towards minimizing the uh, the spread to other animals.
0: In this episode, Tony Brewbaker from Mount Joy gives us a unique look at how they attract dry matter intake. He shared how this data is helping them better manage their cows feeding programs and bottom line
3: right so so yeah that is a good point Um, as far as other things that we're able to track using the feed tracker system is our inventory so we're able to compare what we're putting into the feed bunks and what we're getting out since we have a, a measure of every pound that's fed for the whole year or every day for the whole year we are able to compare that uh and see estimate what our what our shrink is in the in the feed bunkers and um and this, you know see if management changes we're making aid in in those ways as well so it's i guess they say what you what you try what you measure you treasure and um that would be the the case in in what we're doing is these things that we're measuring every day on a real time basis just have given us you know such valuable information in in so many ways and we're continuing to learn as we have the information we're continuing to learn new ways that we can utilize it to uh, to better track and manage what we're doing and um it's amazing though and, like our one employee he manages the the you know, betting because we have, you know, we bed with biosolids and he's the one that manages the separator. And so he looks at what the somatic cell count is every single day when he walks in. And, um, if he sees it creeping up, uh, he, it, it's sort of triggers him to pay extra special attention to what's going on with the separator. Cause we do see a direct correlation to how well we're managing, you know, the separated solids and the somatic cell count. Uh, so, just things like that, you know, you, it's hard to put a price on how valuable that information is.
0: I really enjoyed this next conversation with Carissa Westrick from Cambria County. She shared such valuable information on how her family's 80-year history has been focused on the value-added and agritourism spaces.
4: I think what's important and what's empowering is that we are masters of our own destiny. So my family is involved in every aspect of the production and delivery of our dairy products. The flip side of that is we can't point fingers at anyone if we're not happy with the way things are going. All those fingers point back to us at the end of the day. So we're tasked with being able to pivot when things aren't going well. You know, certainly this past spring, as we lost all of our school customers and many of our restaurant customers in the blink of an eye, We didn't have time to cry in our Cheerios. We needed to focus on the aspects of our business that were working and pivot in about a minute and a half and turn around and provide those customers with the dairy products that they needed. So, you know, we're so very fortunate to control our own supply chain, but, you know, there definitely are challenges associated with that. In
0: this episode, Alan Waybright from Cumberland County shares a really interesting story about how he transitioned into a new facility with very low cost investments and improvements in cow comfort and herd performance.
5: So the improvement in somatic cell count once they came up here, I think be- for two reasons. One is, once we do put the bedding in, the compost manure seems to dry out quicker in these facilities. It gets air- more air movement. The, the manure saws seem to pretty much turn to, to powder in- within 24 hours. So I think the alignment also helps keep the bacteria down as much as possible.
0: Yeah, it seems like they're really doing well on the, the compost and the more solids. So what do you think the return on investment was on the improvements you made?
5: The initial investment, uh, what I did during those 10 days, was $18,000, and that included the lumber and uh, labor to install. So I think that paid back within the end of the first year easily.
0: So where do you think you got the biggest bang for your buck in the things that you've done so far?
5: Well, I think it's a combination of three things. Definitely the deep bedding, uh, cow comfort for the cows to lay down. The cows do use the free stalls quite well. Uh, I think that helped quite a bit. Going to a sprinkler, circular fan versus a tunnel-ventilated misters, uh, they took the heat much better during the summer months than they were in the, uh, the older facilities. And the third thing, you never know, the nutrition part of it, it was a really good corn crop that year.
0: I learned a lot from Jason Fry in this podcast. He's from Westmoreland County and offers a wide range of experience inside and outside the dairy industry. I thought his outlook on business planning for dairy operations was really beneficial
6: and i would say that anybody anybody that's in this industry that doesn't have something written down it doesn't have to be complex it can literally be just two or three pages long of what your goals are you know what you're going to measure what you think you're going to do where you're going to be in, uh because then you don't suffer from revisionist history right which is you know in your head your business plan will drift a little bit based on what's happening but you never wrote it down so that you can go and say yeah you know i said we were going to do $20,000 in revenue on fluid milk sales and we're doing 18,000 well in your head 18 and 20 sometime round to the same number but that's a that's a delta of $2,000 on a real business plan and so it, it's, it allows you to benchmark yourself in a very honest fashion and you know it's not easy to do and even even like we struggle here whenever I would pull out the plan and go, yeah, you know, we're supposed to be doing this and we're behind this month uh, because not, you know, while things have been ahead of plan, when we decided to pull some things forward, we fell behind plan in January and February on um, on product growth and on growth. And so that impacts you later in the year. And you have to be able to go back and look at that and say, we were going to do X. We did a little bit less. What does that mean, and how does that adjust things moving forward? I think dairy farmers in particular have, sometimes have a very hard time treating their business as a business because we, we have a habit of falling into, it's a lifestyle. And, 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 and I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean that in like a, a really good way. Um, but we, we sometimes we really do need to look through it look to look at it through the lens of some type of a, um, a set of metrics.
0: In one of our most inspiring episodes, Chuck Carr from Western Pennsylvania opened up about an accident he experienced when he found himself between a gate and an oncoming skid loader. We had an open conversation about mental health and his advice to other producers who are struggling with similar challenges. So depression is something that affects many farmers. But it's often not something they're willing to admit that they're struggling with. So if you would if you would ask I think
7: that the reason that happens I thought about this for a while. Sorry for cutting you off. I I just have to get it out before I forget it. But when a farmer a farmer's everything is truly dependent on what they do. They milk the cows, they fed the cows, they grew the food for the cows, they wired the lights, they plumbed the water. When something fix, needs fixed, they fix it. They get bailer twine or wire or tape or something, and they make it work. And when, like I said, in our fire situation, we made it work. There's always a way to make it work. But when depression hits somebody, especially with a farmer, they're so used to doing everything themselves. I feel that when something hits them personally like that, they don't know. It's not something they can fix. It's not something they can fix themselves. And I really truly feel that farming in particular, they don't know how to process something like that. And I feel that's why it hits them so hard. I feel like they're ashamed to reach out and say that they have an issue like that. There's so much pride in farming you're proud of your crops growing. You're proud of your rolling herd average. You're, there's there's a healthy amount of pride in everything that a farmer does. But it's also the limiting factor, I feel, that they, they won't reach out when things go sour. And I really feel it hits them harder in particular because of this reason.
0: I learned a lot from this conversation with Dwayne Hershey from Chester County. He had a great deal of insight about how he uses genomic testing to improve his herd's productivity and longevity.
8: If I was going to talk to someone about genomic testing and how it would fit with their herd, my advice would be, well, first of all, what do you want? Where do you want to get to? Um, Of course, we want the best cows and we want the most amount of milk we can get. But, you know, do you want to sell some cows off for type sales? Do you want to sell some for just milk? You want to sell on a high-profile sale, a high-genetic sale. It can help, you know, anyone accelerate their genetic pro- progress in their herd. So basically, you know, what's important to you, and then uh, and then go after, it. and don't be afraid to say no if something doesn't fit your program. I mean, there's, like I said before, there's there's tons of bulls we can use. You uh, you might as well use the ones that are most important to you.
0: With record high grain prices this year, the episode from Walt Moore in Tester County was extremely timely. Walt shared his go-to strategies for managing feed costs and overall efficiency from planting to harvest to even the feeding schedule.
9: I kind of touched on my my relationship with my nutritionist, and I I would just say that they should they should look around, talk to some people, and 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 hire a really well respected nutritionist can serve them well in their area and and, but be willing to have that willing to listen to their advice and to work with them and to, and to be doing some of the things that I talked about. You know, it's it's they can put a diet together, but if if you're not feeding the right diet, or not getting good forages in there or there's any there's other kind of holdbacks, it 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 can really uh you know, doesn't work in the end. So I think that and and have them come out there and have the conversations. And I, I believe that there's a lot of little small things. There's not a often not a silver bullet, but a lot of small management practices that can be changed and tweaked over time that keeps adding to that next pound of production or or, or fixes that, that health event that you're struggling with. Um and, and ultimately um you know, a couple more pounds of milk and and looking at that diet and optimizing some diets, and next thing you know, you're, you're saving a couple thousand dollars a month in feed costs, and things can really, really turn around pretty quickly.
0: Yeah. It sounds like every detail counts, right?
9: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely.
0: <laughs> in this episode, we talked to Josh Waddell from Crawford County. You'll enjoy his story about how an energy audit led to new opportunities and savings for his family's dairy farm
10: so again with with being able to save electricity, we don't have to have the number one we don't have to pay the bill the electric bill, but we don't have to have the infrastructure cost of setting up another another service upgrading lines to provide that service and you know that can be significant costs when you're when you're building projects and and where we are we're we're constantly building or doing something new or trying something new. It's pretty easy to figure out the cost of the project. What you When you usually miss the project is the electric service and the sub-panel and the wiring and all those hidden costs that come with a building. So when, when we start talking about saving, or at least for me, when I start thinking about saving electric and efficiencies on fans and stuff, it just turns into huge advantages for me because I don't have to upgrade services, or I potentially don't have to upgrade services, don't have to have all that. Um, investment that goes along with building a dairy barn that you may not think about. Because when you walk into a dairy, bar- dairy barn, you see your lighting and your stalls and your fans. But, you know, when I tour farms, I rarely ask to go see their, uh, their electric pole and ask about their services and how much that was part of this, this investment.
0: During this episode, I think Brett Reinford from Juniata County really opened our eyes to just how important farm safety is. He opened up about an unexpected farm accident he experienced last November.
11: Well, I think, I think the first thing is, so, um, you know, we like to, we like to build and do a lot of our own things. And that particular cap had a homemade, um, homemade, um, pressure release valve on it, which I, which I never saw. Um, and cause I, you know, never work with that stuff. And, uh, Uh, had I released the pressure first, which I didn't know there would be pressure in there. um, That could have obviously saved a lot of headache for me. Um, So I think the big thing is, you know, if if there's, if there's safety things out there, um, you know, use those rather than trying to, you know, go cheap and, and, and building your own, uh, own type of safety measures. You know, the other thing is I didn't, I didn't even, it didn't even occur to me that this was a dangerous um, thing that I was doing, taking the cap off. I mean, I, there was not even an inkling that that this could explode. I mean, I, when I work around PTOs or manure pits or trenches, you know, you just, you just know there's an inherent safety issue potentially by doing that. So you're extra cautious. But this was just a incident that didn't even encourage me. It could be dangerous. So just being aware that anything you're doing could have a safety implementation that could hurt you.
0: Yeah. And I think this is, I think this is a really good example. We talk all the time about having kids because we all love having our, children work with us on the farm but having kids do things that they're not really equipped to do that it's not safe yeah yeah definitely
11: soon after this accident happened I I, you know it occurred to me what if a neighbor kid or what if one of my kids was was down there it's down in the woods it's right along the woods people go in the woods quite a bit and what if a neighbor kid was over and it's like oh what's this I'll take the cap off and boom dead you know just being aware that even though even though some people in the farm might know how to run some of the the things that are more dangerous, you know, there's other people that could be running them that aren't supposed to be that could get hurt.
0: Finally, in our last episode of Season 1, Emily Montgomery from Wayne County gave us an honest look at the rewards and the challenges of starting a cheese-making business on the farm.
12: Well, basically when we moved back, our goal was to be able to pay the farm more for their milk than what they were getting from the co-op. So we basically look at what they're getting per month, and we have a certain percentage we pay above that. And if it's really low, like it's been the last couple of years, um, we have a like a set rate, a cap that we go up to. Because basically when the milk's low, you want to pay them more so that they have additional funds to help pay off, you know, for their fuel costs, the feed, labor, et cetera. Um, so the more milk we use, the extra money they are getting at the farm for other buckets to spend it in, I guess you'd say. We do have to set a cap at the top of the milk pricing as well because um, with cheese sales, you can't just keep changing your cost of your cheese based on what you're paying for your milk because um, that's kind of set in stone. I mean, obviously, we can have increments every couple of years. We do slight price increases based on the economy, but you can't change it every month if you're paying more for the milk, which I think a lot of people don't think about when they're setting it up, be like, oh, yeah, we can pay them more, you know, at the percentage, but you really do have to have um, a set standard that you go up to so that you can't offset your price of your cheese too much.
0: Thank you again for listening this year, and we hope you will join us for more Cow Conversations in 2022. Have a wonderful new year.